are listening to Keep the Main Thing, the Main Thing podcast. To learn more, visit thepineschurch.com. For those of you joining maybe for the first time, we've been in the middle of a series on the vision that God has entrusted to us. And we've been talking about bridging the gap between the generations. Okay, because it, the, the world, politics, media, they're doing everything in their power to divide us. When really in 2 Peter, the Bible tells us that there is one generation, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood. We are of the same lineage and generation as Peter, as Paul, as Jesus himself. But in the world that we live in, they separate and divide according to age and birth. So that's the world that we live in. So we have baby boomers, we have millennials, we have Gen Z, Gen X, the forgotten generation, which I'm a part of, but no one ever talks about, which is fine. That's cool. But um, we've been talking about the importance of being intentional to bridge the gap between these generations. Because there's so much that Gen Z needs from baby boomers. And there's so much that the baby boomers need from Gen Z. Okay. And so rather than just kind of throw these ideas, this ideology out there, we're going to actually bring it into focus and we're going to have, we have a treat for you today. We're going to be hearing from two different generations who are part of this church, who have been a part of this church since the very beginning. And so I'm getting ready to introduce Gen Z. Uh, Seth Falloon has been with us since the very beginning. He attends uh, Faith Bible College in Charleston, Maine. He has dedicated his life uh, to ministry. He leads worship faithfully here on Sunday. This guy has a heart after God. And so we're going to be hearing from him for the next 10 to 15 minutes. He's going to share what God's put inside of his heart. I do want to say this, that some people say that the fear of public speaking is worse than the fear of death. So we can actually help alongside that by encouraging and kind of drawing the message out. And so let's really lean in to hear what Seth has. And then after Seth, we have another dear friend, Joel Pelletier, who I absolutely adore. Him and his wife, Elaine, they're leading a marriage small group, which I hear tons of testimonies coming out of. And they are just they just mean so much to Jess and I, and he's going to be sharing to represent the baby boomers, and then I'm going to try to put, bring the whole thing together, but this is a special treat today, so open your heart. I know that Seth, he shared some with me of what he's going to share. It's going to minister to you, so if you wouldn't mind, one more time, it's like Catholic Church, standing to your feet and giving a warm welcome to Seth Falloon. You may be seated. Now stand up, sit down, stand up. Okay. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. You guys ready? Awesome. So I'm going to start off with uh, reading 1 Corinthians 13, 11 through 13. You can turn there with me if you would like. Um, while you guys are turning there, I just want to say I'm very honored to have the priv privilege to be a part of this series on unity. And uh, I'm glad that I have the opportunity to elaborate on it a little bit too. So let's see, 1 Corinthians 13, 11. Let's see, it's right there. Yep. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up my childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now in faith, hope, and love abide, these three, 
but the greatest of these is love. So, as I said, I'm going to speak on unity, and my three points for this sermon are faith, hope, and love. So, I was praying about it, and that was the first thing that God gave to me, so I decided I wanted to do that. So, in unity, uh, I, I could have talked about Samuel mentoring David, um, Samuel mentoring David when it comes to uh, the younger generation and the older generation, and, or I could have talked about um, Jesus mentoring the disciples because uh, for most of you who might not know this, the some of the disciples were only teenagers, and Jesus was uh, in his mid-30s when he was ministering, and I actually didn't know that until uh, Bible school this year, so I thought that was a pretty cool, but, uh, or I could have shared about uh, this this one's kind of funny because it's actually true. I didn't think this was true when I first read it, but uh, there was youth that made fun of Elisha for being bald. And uh, and for those of you who don't know what happened, bears came out and killed the youth. So, so lesson learned, don't make fun of bald people because their hair is amazing. So, yes. So, But what was actually on my heart was, um, so through faith, to carry the next generation that our elders carry, carry on the faith through the next generation. So what came to my mind was Moses and Joshua. So Moses led the Israelites almost to the promised land, but he was mentoring Joshua almost the whole time that he was leading the Israelites out of Egypt. And um, since he had Joshua to mentor, Joshua was able to carry them the rest of the way into the promised land, conquer most of the cities in Israel and set up tribes. But what we see after this is that Joshua didn't have anyone to mentor. So we go through the cycle of judges and we see people sinning, then repenting, then getting deliverance, then going into arrest for a few years, then sinning, then repenting and so forth. And the cycle goes on for a few hundred years. And this was because Joshua wasn't mentoring anyone. So in that sense, it's us younger people need the older people to be pouring in, or the elders to be pouring into us, for lack of better words, elders, to be pouring into us so that we can carry on uh, through the next generation that faith. And um, so uh, through that, uh, experiences from our fellow saints can also give us hope, uh, hope that we can accomplish greater things. And Joshua, or Joshua watching Moses part the Red Sea and have manna fall from the heavens and quails come from the sky. Watching those miracles gave Joshua hope, knowing that he was going to be able to keep that going and keep that going for the, the Israelites. And our experiences are a good teacher, but an even better teacher is someone else's experiences. And... Um, in that sense, too, if you take a page from everyone's book, um, you you can or you can learn so much from that, and before you know it, you'll be able to write your own book, and um, and that could be like I could read a book from Pastor one of Pastor Matt's book. I could read a book from one of my professors' books. I could read uh, a book from Joel or a page from Joel's book or anyone else's, and then I could have my own story to tell for uh, people younger than me so that I can pour into them when I become an elder too. And um, in that sense too, Elijah spent many years watching Elijah and being his mentee, which gave him hope and courage to continue prophesying. And then Elisha ended up asking for double portion and doing more than that. So in that sense, you never know how much of an impact it can have to 
encourage someone else. And um, relying on advice from elders and the Lord will help us do it in love through unity in the body of Christ and being the church. So another scripture that I found, I like to use a lot of scripture because I'm preaching. So it's good to use scripture and not just share my opinions. So, uh, amen. But I... I was going to do 1 Corinthians 13 and only 1 Corinthians 13, but I was accidentally flipping through and I found Ephesians chapter 5. So Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2, the heading is walk in love. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And being imitators of God, it's the first verse in that chapter, the first word in that chapter is therefore. So I wanted to figure out what the verse was there for. So I I went back to the chapter before and the heading for chapter four is unity in the body of Christ. And I knew at that moment that that was definitely God. I'm using that verse. So I'm gonna share 4, 11 through 16. Let's see. 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, the gifts of the fivefold ministry, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to, to mature manhood, the, to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather speaking in truth in love, we are to grow up in every way to him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." So as we come together with our experiences, as we come together and share people our successes and our failures, it'll help us build each other up in love. And um, one thing that I realized is that love unites and pride isolates. So I had always thought growing up that the opposite of love was hate. And yet you could use the argument that when you love someone, you want to seek the best interest for that person. Or when you hate someone, you can seek the worst interest of that person. But how I see it is the opposite of love is pride because pride is not wanting to seek the best interest of the other person, but for yourself. And in that sense, we want to make sure that we're building up each other in love and um, being more encouraging too. And Ephesians 4.29, which is also in that same chapter says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion and may it give grace to those who hear. And that shows that the words we speak, or life and death are at the power of the, t- or life and death are at the power of the tongue. The tongue has so much power to it. Some may say stick ma- sticks and stones, may break my bones, but words may never hurt. But as we know, that's not biblical, and I hope you don't rely on that. But yes, yeah, so life and death are at the power of the tongue, and it show, er, an encouragement can go so far, too, with that sense, too. So a story that I have, so 
I played soccer in high school, for most of you that don't know. And um, my sophomore year, I wasn't very good. I was like a 12th man. I had like one goal the entire year, and I barely played. And when I did play, I just did, had no confidence when I was on the field. And um, so my coach was talking to me after our second game of the season, my junior year, this, my third year that I was playing. So the first game that season, I didn't score any goals. We lost two to zero. And then the second game we went in, we were down one to zero against a third seed team when we were seventh seed. And my coach told me, you're gonna go out there and you're gonna get a hat trick. And I was just like, what? I, have, I had only scored one goal the year before. How am I gonna score a hat trick? And he's just like, I believe in you. You're gonna go out and score a hat trick. And I went out and before the, before the first half ended, I had two goals. And then I got my third goal the second half. And uh, that, that's not to brag on my part, even though I love soccer, but that's to show that my, my coach saw value in me and he encouraged me and he believed in me. And that gave me the confidence to be able to go out and then get those goals and then score 22 more goals the rest of the year and be on the all-star team. But that, that's, anyways, so encouragement. I, before I close, I want to elaborate a little more on encouragement. So the prefix of encouragement is E-N. So N, and then there's the word courage. So E-N means to increase. So there's also the word enrich, like increase riches, or E-M is the same thing. So empower, so increase the amount of power in something. And um, so what my coach was trying to do, he was trying to increase the amount of courage inside of me. And um, so... Yeah, I, I just thought that was really good when I was looking that up. And uh, in that sense, I am honored to hand over to the, the mic to Brother Joel Pellets here, who's going to give us some more encouragement and bring more courage into us this morning. Well, between Pastor Matt and Seth, I might as well just throw my notes down. So... I'm going to start a little different, this, uh, and I just want to identify the generations. There, I, and I learned this quite a bit. When, when Pastor Matt called me, I was dealing with some stuff, working with teenagers every day. It gets a little crazy. So um, I think working with the middle school is even worse, but whatever. So, um, but I found out there was a generation called Generation World War I. I don't know if anybody knew that. And then there was a generation called post-war. Who am I kidding? I can't see this. There we go. <laughs> so if there's anybody in here, bless their post-war, war, uh, I mean pre-World War I generation, they're 95 to 100 years old. A lot of wisdom there. If you've ever been around these old people, it's, it's pretty crazy what they know. And they just, they just talk nonchalant about everything that's happened. My grandmother died just shy of 100 years old, and she would share everything she saw from when she was born till now, and it was just awe-inspiring to me. Then we have the post-war generation. You guys are 77 and 94. That's where my mom is and Elaine's parents and stuff like that. And um, then we have Boomers 1. I, I thought it was just a boomer, but uh, they've got a Boomers 1. And then I'm in the Boomers 2. How many of you are in the Boomers too? Oh, oh, I'm the, ooh. 
I was right. We're all under the older ones here, babe. <laughs> Generation X. Yeah, got a group. And you get the millennials, of course. That's where my kids are. That tells you again how old I am. Generation Z. All right? But then I found this cool one last night at about 10, 10.30. And I was asking God, what about the little ones? Where, where are they at? So they're Generation Alpha. When you hear Alpha, that's a big deal. All right? Some of us don't even know what Alpha is. We're still fighting for that, right? So what are they called? M&M, Mini Millennials. Look it up, it's a true story. So, and I wanna show you how, why these little guys are so important. So, back when I, when I started keeping track of the birth of these kids, in 1922, and I could only get the United States, but for some reason, the closer we are to this stuff here, I, they give you the worldwide stuff. Uh, the United States averaged about 25, uh, 2,500,000 births in a year. Keep that in mind, all right? This generation, the little guys, 2021, 2022 just started, right? They're averaging a birth of 2.5 million plus a week globally and that just hit me like crazy so this these this generation the, the mini millennials we got a lot to provide for them but more so they got a lot to provide for us if we're willing to learn because they're going to be born with these things here in their hands so elaine and i when we take care of our little mini nieces and nephews they're on that phone sliding stuff back and forth, and I'm still trying to get caught up where they were. Has anybody noticed that? They're not even worried about getting stuck. I'm always worried about what happens if I'm lame, I need some help, you know, stuff like that. So I'm saying all this to let you guys know that we all need each other. Did you ever notice when there's a catastrophe and where there's a call for help? Does anybody just see like just the millennials or just a generation? We got the little guys all the way to the old people. Everybody's kicking in to help each other out. And this world is very powerful. If we could just learn to get along and stop letting these little things with big people uh, stop us and make us kind of question each other. We all need each other. We all love each other. That's, that's the nature of the game. That's what we're called to do. So... Juggle all this, so you could tell. So I get Psalm 78, 3 to 7, and I'm going to read that to you guys. If you can just keep in mind that a little bit of the groundwork I laid out for you guys here, or the Holy Spirit's laid out actually. Um, and this is out of the New International Version. It says things, this is verse 3, things that we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us, we will not hide them from our, the, the other descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, his wonders, and what he has done. He de this is verse 5. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established a law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach our children. So the next generation would know them, even 
the children yet to be born. Remember the mini, the M&Ms? That's zero to ten years old as of right now. And they would put their trust in God. That, that's our calling. So when I'm teaching, I, I can admit that the first time this happened, it wasn't an accident. I was doing a big drafting piece for the welding class, and I always did really well at that. But for some strange reason, I don't know why, I thought I'd teach, and I'm teaching on a board. So if anybody knows anything about drafting, you're teaching it kind of backwards to the class. So then in the middle of all that, success after success, I said, you know what? I'm going to make this a little more interesting. So I'm going to color code each line. So I did that. And then I got lost, and I got lost bad. And so I'm thinking, okay, there's 32 kids behind me. I have no idea where I am in this drawing. And then one of the students said, I think Mr. Pelletier's lost. And I turned around and go, I am. I need some help. He came right down. Bailed me out of that whole situation. It was the best teaching class I'd ever done. The, the, they were learning from their peers. They realized that this guy is, doesn't have his stuff together and still got stuff to learn, and I don't want that to change. So now I, I get lost on purpose, if that makes sense, so that they have to come and help me. And, uh, and that's the only way we're going to do that, because if you're learning from somebody that thinks they've arrived, if you know what I mean, that puts that person in a non-learning situation. If you think you know it all, you're never going to be able to learn nothing. So if you keep that open heart, so my prayer with Elaine every morning is keep us teachable. Keep us so we, we can learn. If we can't do that, then we're going to fail the generation behind us, and we're going to fail the generation ahead of us. Because if they feel that they can't fail, if they feel that they can't, what, are, what is there to learn? They're going to be nervous about failure. Um, we had a, an administrator come in, and there was this thing going around. It was, the book was called Failure is Not an Option, and he wanted us all to read that. I said, I'm, I'm not reading this book. And he said, why not? I said, because failure is an option. It has to be an option. If there is no failure, then you've no, you got nothing. And these kids, that this, I don't know if you guys are noticing, anybody that's in the teaching field, we're still struggling with it a little bit. These kids are afraid to fail. They're, they're afraid of an 80, they're afraid of a 90, or if you want to go the other way, 4, 3.5, whatever that they're using for a scale, they feel like they're failing. And they're not. They, if they could just learn that all of us, remember the school of hard knocks? Did anybody still going through that stuff? All right? <laughs> There's a lot to be said there, right? There's a lot of, that you can learn from the school of hard knocks. And uh, so if we can keep ourselves teachable and let these kids know, or this younger generation, not kids, that you can learn from them and not be afraid to tell them, wow. And I do that all the time. Sometimes I'm watching this kid. Have you ever been around somebody that's got to be done their way or it's the wrong way? Okay, that, that's another person that's not in a teachable place. So, Because we don't want to be a bunch of Joe Pelletier. We don't want to be a bunch of Pastor Matt's. Not that we don't have good things to offer, but the only way we're going to learn to be better is to piggyback from where we were. So I want to share this, and then we can go from here. Um, we all know what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. And then I don't know if you guys are following. Hopefully you were following a little bit. But when these Russian soldiers are getting captured, they were being told they were going on maneuvers. Why did they do that? It's because these young people know that there's more love in this world 
than there is the false hate that's being thrown out there. And they would not have the strength that they have if they kept them united. So if they keep the fog over their eyes or the, the stones over their eyes or whatever you want to put over their eyes, these soldiers are going in. Now they're in the, the thick of it. It's either fight or die, right? That's where they're at. But I can't tell you how many times they said, hey, we're supposed to be on. And these soldiers are crying. We're supposed to be on maneuvers. We're supposed to be doing this. We're supposed to be doing that. It's because the upper echelon knows that if these, these kids actually knew what was going on, they would rather work out of love and being together in unity and everything else, and that's where the strength is. So I, I asked the Holy Spirit, how can I kind of end this? Um, so somebody has a vision for, and he gave me this. If you will watch over here, we'll take little Ethan. Jess has no problem wondering if she has to give that child up for a little bit take a break, right? Everybody's like, hey, you know. It's beautiful, right? You see everybody caring for that little guy and all these little, other little people. But on the flip side of that, have you ever watched somebody taking care of older people? It's the same exact thing. If your heart is right, it's the same exact thing. Nobody's saying, I can't take care of him. He's an older generation baby boomer one, you know, or the M&M generation. We all have a heart. We all see the need. We all chip in. Nobody, most of the time, nobody has to ask you, right? You just see the need. You just go and do it. And that's how strong true love is. And that true love is free. You're the one who has to make that decision, right? And we're all teachers, all of us. Whether, whether we're teachers or you're at home, uh, Ever watch your child start baking and you're wondering, where did they, where, where did they learn how to do this? They, they, they watch mom, right? A, a kid, I, my dad left when I was seven, so I was the, the guy that was all over the neighborhood looking for a guy to teach, a guy, a guy I could learn from. So, but that natural wanting to learn is in all of us. And that natural teaching is in all of us. Just the way you carry yourself, the way you live, the things you say, all that ministers and is an example for the generation that's around you. It doesn't matter if they're real small or real big. Um, and then in, I'm going to end with this. It says to be strong, we have to unite all of our generations. You can't, we have a label. <laughs> we seem to like labels. Um, but in, in all, we just do what we're supposed to do and we're going to be strong. And, and, and represent the Lord well. Um, I don't think Jesus was going over going, hey, what generation are you in? You're in, you're out. You know, the, he didn't do that. But we find ourselves doing that, right? Was, I was telling Rick in, this morning that <laughs> when you're working with teenagers, I had, a, I had a week this week. And I got into a confrontation with one of my teenagers at the school. And I found myself labeling that whole generation for that one student. And I said, that's not fair. You can't do that. And so, and I'm, <laughs> I'm supposed to be over here delivering this generation thing. I was like, holy cow, I've got a long ways to go. <laughs> so, um, is that too honest for you guys? It's just, uh, we, we gotta stop labeling a generation for a misrepresentation of that generation, if that makes sense, right? We, we, can't, we can't keep doing that. Um, and I've seen some things. I've seen teachers brand 
siblings because of, of a sibling before that. That's not fair either, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, um, and we're no different. I really feel we're, we're called to the front on this. If you're going to live a Christian life and you're talking about Christian life and you're doing something exact opposite of that, that's not a good teachable moment, you know. So um, I just want to wrap up in prayer if I could and go from there. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the word, Father. I thank you that love supersedes all things, Lord. Father, I just thank you that you've given us the opportunity to represent you and to teach these children and learn from the older people. Lord, it's a, it's a cycle that we all need to get into, Lord. Learn and teach and learn and teach and apply. Father, I just give you praise for the uh, example you've set before us with Jesus, Lord. And I just thank you for being in an uncomfortable place and still persevering, Lord, in all that you've asked us to do. And I just thank you that we had open arms, I mean open minds, Lord, to hear your word and open hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Great job. Great job. I love it. I love it. There's so much to, to pull from that. First of all, you know, from Seth, um, I love that he, he highlighted the dynamic, the relationship between Moses and uh, Joshua. And I think about when Joshua is getting ready to take the land and three times God said to him, be strong and courageous. Why did God repeat that? I think uh, he, re he repeated it to, to show us something. That encouragement is repetitive. And he was infusing Joshua with the courage that he needed to take that ground. And so what does it mean that our words carry life? That's what it means that we have the ability to infuse courage inside someone to see maybe not as they are, but as they could be and help them get their eyes off of themselves and onto what is possible. Just like that coach was able to see that inside of Seth, and we're rubbing shoulders with people every single day, coworkers, neighbors, people at the gas station and the coffee shop. And if we would just be willing to be present to the moment, I believe that there are divine opportunities all around us where we can share those words. But we have to be able to kind of get over ourselves sometimes, make ourselves a little uncomfortable so that others can feel comfortable and then they begin to open up and um, to share. And I love what Joel was sharing about. I mean, that was so rich when he took ownership in the middle of that classroom and said, you know what? I don't know what I'm doing. And I can tell you that I think my kids have learned more when I've failed and been honest about it than when I've hit the mark and been right on something. I truly honestly believe that because the Bible says, you know, God gives grace to the humble. So God comes into that situation when you humble yourself and you say, you know what? I don't exactly know where I'm going. And so we must be a people that's willing to humble ourselves, that's willing to be transparent and vulnerable so that others feel the freedom that they don't have to have it all figured out, that they don't have to strive for perfection, but that, that we're all a work in progress. In the school of the hard knocks, I'm thinking Jay-Z, okay? We still learn that way. We still make mistakes, but we, get our, we pull ourselves back up again and we move 
forward. And so I want to share this scripture with you to kind of close John 17, 20 and maybe bring this whole thing together. And this is, these are Jesus's words. So this is Jesus's prayer. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. God's heart is not to divide, but to bring the generations together. Baby boomer, M&Ms, BBs, all of it together. I love alliteration. So baby boomers or BBs, I just put that together. Okay. And to bring them all because as Second Peter tells us, we are a chosen generation. He says, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be, they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying when the church unifies, it will be a sign to the unbeliever and to the world that God is truly with this group. That different tribes, different tongues, different nations, different generations all come together and worship the same God, that is a sign to the unbeliever that God is with these people. And then he goes on to say, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So he's saying, I'm going to give you, I'm going to, it's you becoming one, fighting for that fierce unity. I'm going to clothe you in my glory. I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. So there's a part that we're responsible for. There's a decision that we have to make. Remember, this is something that I share all the time. You can be the most amazing leader in the world. But I can, and I'm not saying I'm the most amazing leader in the world, but just for the point of reference, let's just pretend that I'm the most amazing leader in the world. Okay, just for, just for a second. I'm going to put it on for a second. I can't make you unify. I cannot make you unify. That's an individual choice that you have to make. But when we all make it together, look, this is, this is a spiritual principle that manifests in the natural. How many times have us, we've been drawn to sporting events where a team was less talented, had less money, but somehow they pulled it together and they overcame all the odds and ended up winning the big game. That's something silly, but we all attracted to it. Why? Because we're hardwired for it. We want it. We desire. There's no special Gatorade in the locker room. It was an individual choice from everybody in that team. I love the U.S. hockey team. What was it, 85 when they took on the Russians that were professionals and they were college-age students? And the coach said to them, nine times out of ten, you lose this game. But not today. Today we're going to unify. We're going to decide that we're going to give our absolute best. And something happened on the inside of each and every single one of them. And this is just a hockey game. It just happened in the natural. But in the, in the kingdom, when we come together, different tribes, different nations, different generations, where there's unity, God says, I'm going to complete their unity by manifesting my glory in their midst. 
And then the world will see. And so that's the church that I desire. That's what I want to see in central Maine. The church coming together. The generations coming together. The different races coming together to recognize that we are a chosen generation representing the king of the universe to all of mankind. And God says when you do that, when you make that choice, when you fight for that fierce unity, I will manifest my glory. And so that's what I'm believing for. I want to ask you to stand and I'm going to close you out today. So what are some practical takeaways? Practical takeaways is start a conversation with your coworkers. Buy them coffee. Compliment their purple hair. Okay, that's awesome. I'm not telling you to be disingenuous. It looks awesome on them. Maybe it's not something that you would get, but start a conversation. Just because they dress differently than you, like learn, understand why they're dressing like that. Find a commonality. You see that they're a sports fan and use that as an inroad to build unity so that you can talk about the things that truly matter in life. But you can't come at him like Amway right from the very beginning. You have to build a relationship. I mean it. I know it's funny. I mean it though. I think we've done. It's gross sometimes. So build a relationship. And only God can give you this love. Only God can give you this love. Paul said, I can give all of my money, sell everything that I have to the poor. And if I have not love, it's like a gonging symbol. We need the Father's love. We need the Father's love for a lost and dying world, for people that are hurling insults at us, the people that line up on a different side of the political spectrum than us. So that we're not jaded and hurt by their words, but we understand that they're in the dark, that they're deceived. And so that we can love beyond those ideologies and see at the root that they are precious in the sight of the Lord. So I'm going to pray for that love to manifest inside of your hearts today. I'm going to pray for those ideas of ways that you can reach out to your neighbors, reach out to your co-workers, and begin to cultivate those relationships. And as we cultivate those relationships, the gospel will advance. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for every single person under the sound of my voice. Lord, I thank you that they are growing and maturing. I ask that you would pour out your love for them in a way maybe that they've never experienced or recognized. Would they have a revelation of how much you love and adore them? How much joy and pleasure you take in them waking up to see them approach another day. You watch over them as a mother and father watches over a small child to see if they're going to take their first steps, to see if they're going to speak their first word. I just pray that they would have that love, that it would sink from beyond their minds into their hearts. And then from the overflow, Lord, that they would be able to reach out to others in their sphere of influence, sharing the gospel, sharing the love, cultivating relationships, encouraging one another, being vulnerable to share mistakes and places 
where they've missed the mark so that others can learn from that. Lord, I thank you where there is unity. You command your blessing. And so I pray that you would be blessed as a result of the obedience in this room throughout this week and the weeks to come. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Church, I want to invite you and every single person that you know to come out next week. This is Palm Sunday. They celebrated and threw palm leaves at Jesus' feet as he came into the city. And just days later, they would be cursing him and, and, and calling him to be hung on a cross. People are fickle, but Jesus didn't give up on those people. And we can't give up on him either. So even the one that seems the hardest, that would never say yes to coming to church, Throw out, throw out a Hail Mary and an invitation. You'd be surprised what happens. Can we do that? Amen. All right. Have a great week. Until next time, Godspeed. Thank you so much for listening to Keep the Main Thing the Main Thing, a sermon resource provided by the Pines Church in Bangor, Maine. We'd love to hear from you, so leave us a review on this podcast. If you have any questions, visit thepineschurch.com. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.